So I want to take a moment now to thank the Digital Hub because they are the main sponsors for this season of InspireFest, the podcast. The Digital Hub is in the Liberties in the heart of Dublin City. It's a collaborative space and it's home to lots of technology and digital media companies. But it's more than just an office. It's also great to be here, connect with other companies who are in the Digital Hub that have a similar mindset as ourselves. Norman Houston is my name. I'm one of the co-founders of Bizimply, a workforce management software company based in the cloud, targeted specifically at retail businesses and hospitality businesses. You can find out more about Norman and lots of other innovators at thedigitalhub.com. Now, back to the show. Hi everyone and welcome to InspireFest the podcast. In episode nine, we get to meet Inma Martinez. Inma is a venture partner in Deep Science Ventures and she has been a pioneer in the mobile and digital industry since back in the 1990s. Inma is one of those people who really knows her stuff and she looks into the future. She's particularly interested in artificial intelligence and how that's going to pan out in the future and also really important issues like data privacy and ethics and how how we need to sort of regulate and, and control some things that could be quite dangerous if left unchecked. Myself and Inma had a really wide-ranging discussion after her InspireFest talk. So let's hear what Inma had to say when we caught up with her backstage about the future. It's a bit of an eye-opener. My name is Inma Martinez. I'm a venture partner at a tech accelerator in London called Deep Science Ventures, and I'm a data scientist at Right Brain Future. Inma, um, you work in the field of artificial intelligence. Can you tell us a little bit how you got into that? Um, in 99, at the very beginning of mobile, um, the industry was very naive. And pretty much from Yahoo to Vodafone, they thought that they could just literally dump entire HTML websites onto tiny phones, which made the mobile experience a hell because people used to scroll and scroll and scroll trying to find the link that they wanted. Yeah, and uh, so I then left, uh, came on a wireless, a big telco, because uh, we knew that we could create AI to on the fly in real time, reorder all the links and put at the top of the screen on the phone, those that we thought it would be relevant for you. So basically it was an artificial intelligence engine. It would learn from how you were using the system on and on and on. And very, very soon we knew, okay, now we know what Ema wants on Monday morning. So we did it in real time, which was, uh, it was unprecedented. And it was like a massive hit. Um, many, many operators got it. Uh, Sony, uh, Sony Ericsson and Nokia. And eventually Nokia bought the company. And I went to work for Nokia Innovation. But that was, that was my venturing into AI. 
Today, when we talk about artificial intelligence, it's it's everywhere. It's ubiquitous in digital technology. What do you? How do you describe artificial intelligence to people today? Um, the artificial intelligence that we have had, not just today, but since pretty much the beginning of the internet, is something called artificial narrow intelligence. It's basically when you teach a system to do one thing and one thing only, but very very well. For example, your spam email is AI. Or when a plane lands at an airport, the gate that is selected for it to connect to the jetty is selected by an AI program. You see, this AI program is not going to think about world domination. No, it's going to say plane come to this one. Yeah, one thing and one thing only. And this is where we're at at the moment. And there are some systems that are more sophisticated than others. But no one is really um, developing artificial general intelligence, which is the one in which we will have a machine that will think like a human brain. We're not too far from having it done. In fact, uh, the scientific community reckons that by 2025 we could have some pretty smart systems. But this is where I'm coming, and this is where... Uh, people like Elon Musk, Bill Gates, Steve Wozniak, you know, Professor Hawking, they're pretty much putting the brakes on because there is a massive danger about trying to develop a thing that thinks like a human being because you see human beings are uncontrollable, so imagine a machine. And this is where the rupture and the breakup is happening right now in AI. Right, because I work in AI, I get bombarded by everyone with one question. Are the robots going to take our jobs? I seriously get that question from CEOs, from banks. You know, I do a lot of uh, keynotes. I do a lot of internal workshops, and I work in AI. And it's something that is beginning to concern me. So as an AI person, I work towards a future where humans and machines, mindful of the word, machines, not robots, will work together as an extension of the things we need. We need extra brains. Who wants to do some tedious calculations? Nobody wants that. Let the machine do it. Exactly. Unfortunately, we live in a completely raptured world, run by people that should not be there, with behaviors that have created the demise of nature, the demise of wealth, the demise of, you know, the common sense. But there is hope. Tell us a bit more about this, this rupture. Um, you know, this, this is quite a dramatic moment then in the history of AI, is it? It is dramatic because finally technology has uh, grown at such unprecedented uh, level of sophistication that um, many universities, many labs, many people with good funding are pretty much uh, running into creating anything that moves. Yeah, because AI development is not regulated. Yeah? So then anyone with a ton of money uh, can decide, let's create a robot that wants to kill the humans, and hey, yippee-hey, they can do it, right? So this is why um, most of us are concerned that, number one, they can do it and no one can penalize them. Number two, they don't even tell the world what they're up to. So then we're all just guessing. 
Yeah, and and this is where um, you know people begin to feel that oh my phone is beginning to do bizarre things. How do they know I'm here? You know the famous Uber. You cannot deselect. Find me always. It's either always or never. Not only when I'm using this app. So for example, this is one of the things that we're fighting. It's like, um, for example, in in focus groups that have been done and many many polls about mobile users, what is the thing that freaks you the most? Is to be located geographically. Is is the humans in, in large quantities? I think it's like 64% say it freaks me out when they guess where I am. So many people also freak out when the system knows way too much about you and you're like, well, what? Because, uh, and this is why the, in Europe, the general data protection directive is coming in and people are going to opt out and people are going to demand, I need to know exactly what data you have on me because then I'm going to let you have it or I'm going to make you delete it, etc., etc., etc. So AI is very much being created without people's permission or without people's awareness. Um, and right now it's only to sell you stuff, really, to turn you into the biggest shopaholic. But we don't know into what else exactly. So um, it, it, I am concerned. I, I am, a, I would say, I'm a badass scientist activist. You know, I, I have enough freedom. I did my companies, I sold them. I don't need to work for nobody. So I'm going to get to say the things I want and, and to work in the projects I want and to work with the scientists that I want. I'm not forced into any direction by some company. But the scene is full of unanswered questions. And this is the year in which everybody begins to demand the answers. So if we're at this fork in the road, okay, where we can lay down ground rules and regulations to stop people gathering data where people are unaware or they haven't given permission, Okay, can we take two roads from this? Take us down the road where we get this right. If we get this right, what's going to happen to technology in the future? So the right solution is many, many jobs in society are very, very tedious and they're very prone to human error. And we know those jobs. So very soon companies will actually embed systems that will actually look after that. You know, for example, obtaining information. You're a doctor, and how is it possible that you have in your head all the encyclopedic knowledge about oncology that you studied 20 years ago, and what are you going to do, read at night and not sleep? Exactly. So it will be very useful that, that you know, a doctor, when it, when it comes to, um, you know, a diagnosis or something, has access to a super fast-thinking database that is going to throw him, yeah, there is a case like this, like that. Okay, fantastic. Or lawyers, yeah? Um, when what will happen then is that people will need to be very creative because as a human you will read the information and you will say fair enough yeah I can understand why that was the case in Milwaukee in Indiana and but it's not going to apply here in Dublin for this family yeah but you make the decision based on your culture based so that do you actually have the power to decide what we don't want is that the system says, yeah, that's the thing, and that thing goes. Because it is virtually impossible that these machines are taught tacit knowledge, knowledge that you accumulate over years of doing it and doing it and learning from other people. Is Tacit knowledge actually cannot be explained into words, so therefore it cannot be coded. So th this is where we are. 
So it's almost like intuition, I suppose. Exactly, all the abstract thinking. I mean, the, the best thing about humans and while we are alive and we, we, we weren't killed by the monkeys in the jungle is because we are illogical, we are abstract, we take the root least expected. Uh, all of a sudden, due to a massive event, our body becomes superhuman and we can walk 40 nights in the desert to save our child. You understand? All of that comes from your brain. The big athletes are super athletes because of their brains, not because of their body. Look at Novak Djokovic, he's losing like what? And he's the fittest man on the court. Exactly. So my, my group of scientists, the, the scientists that we work towards a humanity where the future is going to be fit for humans to live, we want the humans to be abstract, creative, crazy, intuitive, gut feeling, so that the machines do tedious things and we get to be the best versions of ourselves. So that's the, the great scenario where we get to be the best, best versions of ourselves. The technology is there, artificial intelligence is to augment us as opposed to replace us. What if we get it wrong? What if it, in this fork in the road we fail to regulate? We fail to, I suppose, widen out the biases of artificial intelligence that are being put in now. What happens then? <laughs> well, what happens is that nothing will prevent um, a company to think that they should order a bunch of robots or a bunch of systems because they're really going to do a fantastic job and then they mess up big time in something in some very poor decisions that when the thing happens everybody says but who had common sense in that company and no nobody had common sense because that's a right brain attitude so what are we going to do blame it on the machines exactly so this is where we don't even want to think about it we don't even want to think about it So I'm going to teach you how to code. Let's imagine that we have an AI project. So in AI, you start with a hypothesis, and then you start gathering your assumptions. Yeah? So if I was to code, let's consider that that is my code, the code that I'm teaching the machine. Hey, machine, I'm going to teach you about the world. This is what goes on, so you start learning. Yeah? So let's read it together. If she's amazing, she won't be easy. Yeah? So we believe that. If she's easy, she won't be amazing. Great. If she's worth it, you won't give up. This is when the machine begins to think, what a bizarre and logical behavior, right? Because machines are logical. If you give up, you are not worthy. Have we taught the machine what worthy means? That, that is requiring quite a lot of coding. Truth is, everybody's going to hurt you. You just got to find the ones worth suffering for. At that point, the machine self-combusts. <laughs> because humans are illogical. Because we like to suffer for love. We find pleasure in the quest. Isn't that illogical? But that is the most beautiful thing about us, about our right brain approaches to life, which is why every time I read that somebody's trying to teach machines to be emotional, I'm having a super laugh. Not a big laugh, I'm having a super laugh. Good luck, you guys. Never a machine will feel what we feel when we read that. Did you feel something? 
It's beautiful, it's thoughtful, it's romantic. Do you think a machine is going to appreciate that? No. So what practical steps are you taking at the moment to try and make sure we go the right route with artificial intelligence? So I try to develop systems that allow the human to make the decision. I try to create products that are powered by AI that a human is going to enjoy and find them fun, but never alienating. I don't give uh, human names to my products. In fact, you know, a bunch of kids now are going into the operating system of Alexa and, and they're calling it computer, which I think is so awesome. Yeah, because you're a damn machine lady. Uh, so yeah, that, that's what I try to do. And I'm very lucky that there's some great multinationals or global players out there that are feeling that this is the right thing to do as well. So I get to work in really cool stuff. I mean, I have even done uh, precision livestock farming. So are cows social people? And do they have multiple friends that they hang out with and therefore they are happy and that's why they produce more milk? And the answer is yes. Who would have thought, right? Exactly. Inma, what do you see as the risks and opportunities of AI into the future? Well, the opportunities are we're going to get to do things better, better informed, faster, with less effort, um, with less friction, uh, having assurance that the information is correct. You know, all of, the, all of these ticks in the boxes um, and also some horrible, horrible, tedious things that nobody wants to do, quite honestly. The risk is to put the machine in the driver's seat. That is the only, only risk. And I know that people are going to say, but Emma, we all want to buy self-driving cars. And I'm like, yeah, I, I will sit in one of those when I, when I feel like it. Yeah, it's going to take a while. Um, so so it's, it's kind of uh, humans are going to have to develop the common sense uh, and are going to have to read between the lines of all the propaganda. For example, now is all about self-driven cars, right? But if you think about it, the roads are not ready for them. Uh, the economy is not ready for them. How much are these, co these cars are going to cost? More like Teslas? Then what is that? Are they for the rich? It makes exactly. I always ask the realistic questions. I'm not a journalist trying to create some new story that's going to sell newspapers. Um, so the risk is that people are going to drink the Kool-Aid. And then when reality hits, they're going to be disappointed. Like, but I thought this car was going to drive by itself. Well, yeah, it's going to take 10 years, lady. Exactly. Well, best of luck with your quest, Inma. Um, and thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. So I hope you enjoyed that episode with Inma Martinez. She really touches on some big and important ideas, but that's what InspireFest is all about, uh, you know, digging into those things that are really going to affect our future. The next episode of InspireFest, the podcast, won't be for a few weeks because we are taking a short break over the holiday period. But when we come back in January, we're going to be talking to Patricia Scanlon, who works in the area of speech technology, and Ellen Roach, who is developing soft robotics to help hearts that can't beat that well. So have a great break and we will catch you in 2018. If you want to find out more about InspireFest, be sure to check out InspireFest.com. This episode was produced by Bureau. I've been Claire O'Connell. Thanks so much for joining us.
Don't forget, folks, that InspireFest 2018 is on June the 21st and 22nd in the Borgosh Energy Theatre in Dublin. So do go along to InspireFest.com and check out the speakers, book your tickets and come along because you won't regret a minute of it. There are not only the super speakers on stage, but also wonderful people go to InspireFest and there's a lot of events and it's a huge amount of fun. So come along all the speakers that were there gave practical advice that really make you think that you can, you can go up higher and uh, reach all those limits we fix ourselves. 